Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a series titled Elijah. We're learning about an ordinary man with extraordinary faith who stood up in a time of darkness. Thanks for joining us today. In from 1 Kings 19, 1 through 9. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. It was seven years ago, exactly this summer, when Pastor Jeff was on sabbatical and I agreed to do an eight-week series in the book of Song of Solomon. And it was after that series, I don't know if it was because of the topic or just eight straight weeks of preaching, I went into a deep, dark place. So much so, I was ready to quit ministry. So much so, I never wanted to preach again. Depression. Did you know that 350 million people suffer from depression in our world today, according to the World Health Organization? As you know that right now, post-COVID, one in four Americans are struggling with depression. And yet, sadly, the church hasn't always done a good job talking about this subject. In fact, I can't remember ever hearing a message on this subject. And when it is talked about, often Christians feel ashamed for going through something like depression. They find themselves battling alone with mental health battles. But did you also know? that the Bible includes many instances of men and women who felt disappointed and discouraged and, yes, even depressed. Moses once asked God to take his life from him when he was in a dark place. Jonah did the same thing. David, when he lost one of his children, went into a deep, dark despair. And this morning, we already heard that even Elijah faces this depression. Did you know the apostle Paul once, and I quote, despaired even of life? when he was doing ministry in Asia. Now, friends, I don't know about you, but I love how honest the Bible is about these things. It's honestly one of the ways we can know how reliable of a book it is. It encourages me to read things like we read in James 5, 17 about Elijah. Elijah was a human being even as we are. Sometimes we forget that, don't we? We tend to put these people in the Bible up on pedestals and think they're nothing like me. And yet we've been learning in this series, if you're following on your notes, Elijah was an ordinary man with extraordinary faith. 
Yes, he's an amazing, heroic prophet without question. He stood up in a time when no one else would stand up for God, and yet he was also a human being, just like you and me. And so if you're following, he also experienced discouragement and depression. And on this occasion, he couldn't shake it. Now, it would be great for us to sit here and think, well, depression doesn't happen to Christians. It just happens to other people. But the reality is, if the numbers are correct, many of us in this room will or already are or have struggled with depression at some point in our lives. And the church has often used easy fixes or even shame to try to deal with this issue. And so this morning, here's what I'd like to do. I want to spend some time talking about this sensitive issue using the story we just heard read, and how God can minister to us even in our dark places. Now, before we dig into that, I have to say something separate about clinical depression versus the depression that we're going to be talking about today. Clinical depression is a medical disability that needs medical attention. Can I say that again? Clinical depression is a medical disability that needs medical attention. Let me just say something. It is one of the four diseases that physicians call mood disorders. Just as diabetes has to do with a body's failure to regulate blood sugar, mood disorders result from the brain's failure to regulate chemicals that control moods. Let me just quote here. Nerve cells in the brain communicate with each other by releasing chemicals called neurotransmitters like serotonin. When there is ample supply of these neurotransmitters available to stimulate other nerve cells, you typically feel normal. You can still have ups and downs, but you aren't fighting the illness of clinical depression. In clinical depression, fewer of these neurotransmitters are released because the first nerve cells reabsorb them before they're adequately stimulated other nerve cells. So antidepressant medicines work because they increase the amounts of those neurotransmitters in the body. That is the end of my medical knowledge, and I'm sure the doctors in the room here are grateful for that, but here's the bottom line. There's nothing to be ashamed of in clinical depression. It's a physical deficiency that can and should be addressed. I know there are those in the church who might disagree with what I'm saying right here, but I do believe that those afflicted, afflicted with clinical depression shouldn't feel any more awkward than those affected with diabetes, treating it with insulin. Anyone who has tried to make not taking medicine in this sort, some sort of a badge of honor or a shame, shameful thing if you do that, I think we need to be reeducated on this. I know people in my own family who have been deeply hurt by that kind of shaming. They went off of it and spiraled into a terrible, terrible place. So that's that. Let's talk about a different kind of depression, though. A depression that is tied to brokenness and chemical, not chemical deficiency. It's a depression that a lot of us have probably felt at one time in our lives. When we get to the end of ourselves and we're broken, we find ourselves in the fetal position, emotionally spent, emotionally broken, emotionally empty. That's where Elijah finds himself today in this story And that's what we're going to talk about. How did he get there? How do we sometimes get there? And what does God want to do with us when we find ourselves in these situations? So if you haven't already, I encourage you to grab your Bible. Turn to 1 Kings 19, starting in verse 1. If you don't have your Bible with you, we always have some in the seat underneath you there. You can find this on page 285 of those black Bibles. If you don't mind, can we pray together as we enter into this? Oh, Lord. 
Thank you for the honesty of scripture. Thank you that we don't have to be shiny, happy people all the time. Fake our way through life, but we can be honest before you. Thank you for men like Elijah who did that and can give us an example of what it looks like to battle with depression and how you helped him through that. Go before us now. Speak through me in this place. May your presence be here. May you remind us you are with us, you see us, and you're for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the story begins this way. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. What a wimp. Here's, a lot, here's Ahab, the king of Israel. He just witnessed God display tremendous power on Mount Carmel, and he crawls back to his wife and tells her about it. This wife who wants Elijah dead and who wants to rid Israel of all worship of God. So verse two, Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. One of who? One of the prophets of Baal that Elijah had killed. This is classic intimidation, right, folks? In effect, Jezebel is saying to Elijah, you're a dead man. But look who she's talking about here. This is Elijah, the prophet of God, the one who called down fire from heaven, the one whose prayer stopped a three-year drought. Surely he would not be intimidated by these threats. Let's read verse three in the first part of verse four on our notes. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. I'll continue. He came to a broom brush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the bush and fell Asleep. Just some context here. Elijah could not have run any further than he did. He ran to the farthest point south in Israel. I have a map here just to show you how far he went. You can see way up there, Mount Carmel, he's running as far away as possible from Jezebel. Now, of course, the question is why? Why is Elijah falling into this darkness here? I, three, I see five reasons why, and they can give us insight into why we too sometimes fall into darkness and depression. Number one, depression can come by believing the lies of fear and shame. Did you notice in verse three? He was afraid. He was afraid, so he runs for his life. Fear. And shame are almost always factors in depression. Many times, like Elijah, we become afraid of things like failure or loneliness. We become ashamed of some of the things that we do in our lives. Our, our marriages aren't going the right way. Our friendships aren't going the right way. We aren't doing the right things in school. And so the enemy starts flinging lies at us. This is an Old Testament example of a New Testament truth. We have an enemy. His name is Satan, and he is called our adversary. And two of his biggest weapons in our lives are fear and shame. Because he knows if he can get us to believe these two things, he can bring us down into a dark place where we feel alone and afraid. 
Depression runs in my family. My mom, who passed away in February, had it her whole life, and yet she grew up in an era where it was shameful to talk about depression, let alone treat depression, and so she never did. Friends, I want to say the biggest mistake we can make when depression comes is feeling ashamed of it, from hiding ourselves, running from it like Elijah does here. Sometimes, like my mom, we believe a lie. That as believers in Christ, we can never feel down or discouraged or even depressed. And that kind of thinking causes us to hide our negative feelings, run from them, and hide from our family, our church, and even from God. And that is exactly what our enemy wants, to get us alone, believing the lies of fear and shame. Second way depression can work is through emotional and physical exhaustion. Elijah had to be drained at this point, right? You can hear it in his words, it's enough. For years, he's lived on the edge. He, wanted a, he was a wanted and hunted man. He was considered public enemy number one. He'd been roughing it in the wilderness, surviving on bread and water. There's an old saying that says, you will break the bow if you keep it always bent. Elijah was broken living under constant, relentless pressure and stress. When I was in college, whenever finals week would come around, without fail, I would get done with finals and then I'd get sick. I would get sick because the stress I was carrying would eventually go into my body. We just weren't made to go 100% all of the time without it affecting us emotionally and physically. A third way depression hits us is by experiencing guilt or anger over unmet expectations. I'm going to share something really important here. Listen up. Our most vulnerable moments in life come when we experience a great victory. If you're on your notes, depression often follows a mountaintop experience. This was literally true with Elijah, right? He was just on Mount Carmel. And here he is. But it's true for us as well. We sometimes call them camp experiences, right? Can I tell you the loneliest time of my week is when I drive home on Sunday afternoon after preaching. You probably experienced this too, right? I was just thinking about this. We were driving home from vacation last Saturday and it's hard not to think, we just had this awesome vacation. I feel great. Now I have to enter back into the realities of Life, it's hard and and live in Springfield, Illinois. (laughs) It's hard to experience these mountaintop experiences. We're very vulnerable at those times for depression. His battle on Mount Carmel was in the past. The great victory was a memory. Elijah was vulnerable and he gets caught up in the backlash and he says, I'm no better than my ancestors, Lord. What's he talking about here? What what is he referring to here? I really believe at this point, Elijah had some expectations in his mind of what was supposed to happen that didn't happen. He probably thought that Ahab and Jezebel were gonna repent, that the nation of Israel was gonna enter into this great and mighty revival, and yet his expectations weren't fulfilled. And so he either feels guilt, like I didn't do enough, or honestly, anger, God, Why have I put myself out here if you're not going to show up in the way I expected you to show up? Can that happen to us? 
Can we put expectations on people and when they're not met, we get angry with them? Or we put expectations on ourselves and we get guilty when we don't fulfill them. Number four, depression can hit us when we isolate ourselves from others. Elijah does this two ways, psychologically and physically. In verse 14, which Camden is going to teach on next week, Elijah says, I am the only one left, and now they are all out to get me. Hmm. He feels alone. He thinks everybody is out there to get him. But notice in verse 3 in our text, what else did he do? He isolated himself physically by leaving his servant, his friend behind, so that he could go and be by himself in the wilderness. Instead of turning to his friend for help, he runs from his friend to get alone. Isn't that exactly what we do in depression? We imagine we're all alone. We isolate ourselves from life-giving relationships. We develop addictions that we run to that we think are going to give us some great peace, and they don't offer the peace we think they're going to give us. In fact, they do, the wor- they do worse. Finally, Depression can set in when we give in to self-pity and play the victim. Elijah got lost in self-pity. Self-pity can lie to us, friends. It will exaggerate. It will cultivate a victim mentality. In our head, we start playing this little instrument. I saw this a couple weeks ago. I had to use it this Sunday. I think that's awesome. And I'm not making light of it because that's what I do all the time. I play that instrument in my head all the time. Elijah got to a place where he was completely worn out. We call it burnout. One of the lies we believe in burnout is we overinflate our belief that there's nobody else who can understand. Nobody else cares about me. I'm on my own. They can't understand what I'm going through. That's exactly what we find with Elijah in 1 Kings 19. His fear, his shame, his exhaustion, his false expectations, and his isolation have led him to this place of self-pity where he thinks, I'm the only one left devoted to God. Everybody else is out to get me. Now listen, those are just some of the reasons that could possibly lead us down the path of depression. I know there's many others, the loss of a loved one a broken relationship. There are more, but the key question for us this morning is, now what? What do we do when we find ourselves in these dark places? Let me just share a few things what not to do when you or somebody else is in a place of depression. Do not say things like, pull yourself together, man. I heard this one. If you just had enough faith, you wouldn't be feeling this way. Mm. What have you got to be depressed about? You have a great life. If you just memorize this scripture verse, I mean, you can imagine what some of the people would want to say to Elijah right now, right? What do you have to be depressed about? You just called down fire from heaven. Come on. Get over it. What's your problem? That didn't help, and it doesn't help. But what does help? God puts on a masterclass in the next verses to show us how he ministers to us in depression and we can learn from him as well. Look at how God responds by reading verses five and six out loud on your notes there. It says, all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. 
He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then laid down again. Verse seven continues. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, drank strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God, also Mount Sinai. There he went into a cave and spent the night. What a passage. I see several things God models for us to help us when we experience seasons of darkness. The first thing I noticed that helped Elijah that can help us is rest, rest to get physically and emotionally refreshed. Elijah was spent, but don't you love how God takes care of him here? Don't you love it? No sermon, no rebuke, no blame, no shame, no lightning bolt from heaven saying, get up, you worthless ingrate. Now he says, take it easy, son. Take it easy. Relax. Take a nap. <laughs> Sometimes a nap is the best thing, amen? I love, also, did you notice the angel touches Elijah? Touch is a very powerful tool. Jesus understood this as well. Friends, if you know someone going through depression, a hand on their shoulder, a hug can say way more than any words could possibly say. And then God caters a personal meal for Elijah, some fresh bread and fresh water. How gracious our God is in the dark times. Friends, if you have a loved one who struggles with depression, you can learn a lot here. No words, no trying to fix things, a kind gesture, a loving touch, sharing a meal or a cup of coffee together can do way more good than our attempts to fix people. As we talked about, when we use up our physical and emotional energy, we become exhausted and burn out, so we need rest. There's a reason God implemented the Sabbath day, which we ignore in our culture to our own regrets. We can't keep the pace up that we set for ourselves in this life. We need to slow down. Even God rested. Some people say this old Christianese saying, it's better to burn out than rust out. Bah. Nonsense. I want to mention another thing. Medical experts are totally clear here. Did you know there's a very close relationship between our physical health and our emotional health? Our body, our soul, our spirit, God created them all to work together. And if they're not all healthy, they're going to affect one another. If we are down emotionally, it will affect the way we feel physically, yes? If we get sick physically, it affects our emotions. So listen, keep healthy. Get enough of the right kinds of food, enough sleep, sufficient exercise. It's not a guarantee against depression, but it might help prevent it and will certainly keep our bodies in a better shape to deal with it when it comes. I got to tell you, when I've been in my dark places, the last thing I want to do is exercise because I'm playing the violin. But I make myself get up and take a walk, get outside, remind myself of the beauty of God's creation, and it helps. I think this is something Christians have neglected, right? We have separated our body from our, quote, spiritual life. God does not do that in the word. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and he wants us to take care of them. So we rest, we sleep, we eat healthy food, we exercise. If we don't, our bodies will break down and our emotions will follow. Number two, this can help in depression. 
vent. Vent your frustrations openly to God without judgment. That's right. Talk to God, no holds barred, about your feelings of shame and guilt and sadness and anger. Elijah certainly did. And I want you to see, did God judge him for that? No. God doesn't say, listen, Elijah, prophets don't talk that way. No, he accepted, he listened, he received, he touched. God can handle it. He will not be judgmental of us when we pour out our hearts to him. Listen, we all have such feelings at different times in our lives, and unless we get rid of those feelings, instead of try to pent them up, it will harm us. Our bodies will break down. And so maybe you're wondering, well, how do I do that? How do I get started inventing? This is a new idea to me. I've always felt bad. I shouldn't talk to God like that. Hey, read the Psalms. <laughs> you want to talk about venting? There's some really good venting going on in the Psalms, isn't there? For example, Psalm 10, verse 1, David writes, Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? That's a good vent. Here, here's another one, Psalm 69, 1 through 3. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The flood engulfs me. I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for God. <gasps> Can you believe he said that? Can you believe our God receives that? Here's something I've done. I've written out my own Psalms before. Maybe that would be helpful to you. Even if you're not like into some poetic thing, just write out how you're feeling and write it to God. Have you ever seen the movie The Apostle with Robert Duvall? Anybody? There's this scene where he's literally in this room walking back and forth, arguing with God. It's awesome. Our God is awesome. No matter how we feel, no matter how thick the darkness is, we can entrust our emotions, our thoughts, our feelings to him. And in his presence, we can find the comfort that we need. Number three that can help us in depression is speak the truth of God's word to ourselves. I'd put it this way. Learn to preach to yourself. Don't just wait for Sunday. Learn to preach to yourself. There, this is where a lot of Christians in the past have started, right? All you need to do is memorize this scripture, and whenever you're feeling down, you'll just say this scripture back, and it'll magically disappear. Listen, the truth is that's not always the first thing that needs to happen in those situations, but please listen to me. At some point, it needs to happen. At some point, we need to learn to Preach the word of God, the gospel of Jesus to ourselves. Elijah needed to get his life back into perspective. He felt that God had forsaken him. Did God forsake him, friends? What's the truth of that? No, he's right there with him still. Here's Elijah saying, I'm doing my best to serve you. You ditched me. Everyone else has ditched me too. It's not true. He needs a new perspective on life. He needs a new perspective on himself. One of the dangerous things about depression, if you've ever gone through it, is it causes you to focus inward on yourself where you feel totally isolated and alone. But God talks to Elijah and says, listen, I've got 7,000 prophets you don't even know about yet. In fact, I've already called your successor. His name's Elisha, and I'm going to have you anoint him soon. You're not alone. Here's the truth. I'm with you. 
When we're discouraged, we focus on lies that are not true. So we need to fill ourselves with what is true. And the word of God is true. So we fill our minds with that. I already mentioned Psalms are pretty true. Look at this verse of David preaching to himself. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Okay, he's down, he's depressed, and what does he do next? He's talking to himself. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. I'm so glad to know I'm not the only one who talks to himself. David did as well. He's preaching truth to himself. Bible can also remind us of the truths of who we are in Christ. When I'm in a dark place, my two go-to passages are Ephesians 2 and Romans 8. I have them on your notes there. Why do I go there? Because they're filled with the truths about who I have been made in Christ Jesus. I'm adopted as one of his sons. God chose me to be his own. There is no longer any condemnation in Christ Jesus. And as far as the east is from the west, his love will never be separated from me. Remind yourself of the truths of who you are in Christ Jesus. The more we can do that, the more accurate our perspective becomes. Fourth, get connected to others to help bear your burden. This is the opposite of what Elijah did, right? There's sometimes nothing more effective than having a close friend that you can rid your emotions to. It's like pulling the plug on a dirty bathtub. Everyone needs someone in their life that they can confide in without fear of condemnation. The head of the medical school at the University of Oregon said some time ago that probably more good is done between two friends at 10 o'clock in the morning over a cup of coffee than in the doctor's office all day long. Talking to a friend can help to bring life back into perspective and enable us to see that we are not alone. The Bible says this same thing too. The Bible instructs us that we are a family of believers. We're to be there for one another, carrying one another's burdens. It also says that those who are strong need to help those who are weak. Those who are faint-hearted need to be encouraged by their brothers and sisters. This is why we need to be vulnerable with one another. Find a person you can talk to knowing they will listen to you without trying to fix you, without a judgmental spirit. Do you have someone like that? Someone you can call up in the phone and just say, I am discouraged today. And they will say, that's okay. I'll be there in five minutes. Let's grab a cup of tea. If you're depressed, don't do what Elijah did. Tell someone, be transparent. As I mentioned earlier, if you're the one there for your friend, I'll say this three, my third time saying this, don't try to fix them. Don't try to fix them. Don't try to fix them. Just listen, be present with them. There's gonna be a time when you'll be able to pray with them, pray the truths of God's word over their lives, but they just need to know right now that you're there for them and that you love them. I heard a story about a woman this week who went through breast cancer and then after that went through depression and she said the difference in the level of care she received in the church was astounding. Everyone was there bringing her meals and caring for her when she had breast cancer and then when she went through depression, everybody didn't know what to do. For some reason, depression and mental health issues are considered less serious than physical illness, but for those experiencing them, they can be just as bad, if not worse. Mental health is often invisible, and therefore, people don't believe it's real, and so we get comments like, just snap out of it. 
Let's not do that. Let's not do that. Instead, let's be people who listen and support and care and love those who face the dark times in their lives. Last thing we can learn about help in this passage in depression is keep moving forward. We see this in Elijah's story, right? After resting and eating, it says, strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horab, the mountain of God. Elijah got back into the mainstream of life and got to work again. Now, he may not have been over his depression. This was true for me after Song of Solomon. I had to keep working. I kept getting back into the mainstream of life. And would it surprise you to tell you it took me 18 months to enjoy preaching again? But I kept at it. The great psychiatrist, Dr. Carl Menninger, was once asked by a newspaper reporter, suppose you think you're heading for a nervous breakdown, what should you do? Most of us would have expected him to say, go to a psychiatrist. But he didn't. Instead, his reply was, go straight to the front door, turn the knob, cross the tracks, and find somebody who needs you. Hmm. With us, as with Elijah, the best way to stop feeling sorry for ourselves is to start feeling compassion for others. Don't sit around in isolation. Don't get all wrapped up in yourself. Don't have that pity party for too long. Get up, get back into the mainstream of life, working for God and his kingdom. Jesus himself did this very thing in the garden, praying, take this cup from me. And then we read in Hebrews 12, too, that for the joy set before him, he kept going and he endured the cross. Friends, the biggest thing I want you to take away from this message, whether you're facing depression, anxiety, another mental illness or physical illness, whatever it might be, God is with you. God is for you. I have already mentioned two of God's names in Elijah's story. He is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. He is El Shaddai, the most powerful God. And as I studied this text, I was reminded of this truth. If you're on your notes, God is also El Roy, the God who sees you. This name was given to God by Hagar, who found herself in a similar situation to Elijah, despairing of her life, not knowing where her next drop of water would come from. God appears to her, provides for her, and she says, you are the God who sees me. God sees you. God knows you. God loves you. In fact, as we prepare our hearts for communion, can we close with these words, these reminders about who our God is from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Would you read these out loud with me on your notes? It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with great confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That is our God. That is our God. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church or to get connected, please visit cherryhillsfamily.org or find us on Facebook. Thanks for joining us.